Okay, welcome back uh, today. Continuing the reading of Voice of Self from uh, MP Pandita, MP Pandit, <clears throat> uh, of um, the, I believe it's 286 verses of Chittakash Gita, uh, Nichinanda's utterances um, in the mid-1920s. Uh, again, some of it refers to the uh, mental spiritual process of the devotees in the, in the space where he was sitting and where he was making such comments. <clears throat> and uh, other, uh, other teachings, or ma majority of it, is uh, core principles, we could say, related to Advaita Vedanta, uh, but um, the key is to understand that everybody has their own take on everything. And so <clears throat> some of what Nityananda says will accord perfectly with classical Advaita Vedanta or even Upanishadic teachings. So the Upanishads came before and Advaita Vedanta uh, it seems actually developed in the 6th, 6th and 7th centuries um, CE, Common Era, or uh, AD, Anno Domini, after Yeshua departed. So the Upanishads are pre-Buddhistic, like Brihadaranaka, which we'll see a couple of times. So the Upanishads are pre-Buddhistic, or pre-Buddhist, and Advaita Vedanta is post-Gautama, and um, we'll see some of the words, some of what Nityananda says um, looks like Advaita Vedanta, uh, some of it is classical or in line with classical Upanishadic teaching. Uh, Advaita Vedanta is significantly you know, related to Upanishads. Uh, meanwhile, Advaita Vedanta, <clears throat> where you have uh, Shankara, Adi Shankara of uh, pretty much 7th century, uh, coming from his teacher, uh, I think what, his teacher's name was Gaudapada, Gaudapada, um, who is pretty much of the 6th century. And uh, Adi Shankara in the 7th century. By that time, um, Buddhism had already entered China, and in India, uh, Mahayana Buddhism was starting. So there was Mahayana Buddhism in India uh, before it went to China, like uh, the Bodhisattva, the whole notion of Bodhisattva, Pusa in Chinese, came from India, <clears throat> came from later Indian Buddhism, uh, circa you know, 2,000 years ago, and then 1,500 years ago, the time when Advaita Vedanta got going. <clears throat> and there are many parallels then between Advaita Vedanta and Mahayana Buddhism. And then there's much uh, of Mahayana Buddhism that came directly from or didn't lose the uh, essential teachings of Theravada Buddhism, which really is of the Pali Canon, which is really of Gautama's 
direct speaking and um, <clears throat> uh, situations around Gautama 2,500 years ago. So some of the original Pali canon uh, that was put onto, was, was codified onto palm leaves uh, 2,200, 2,300 years ago was directly of Gautama's life and times 2,500 years ago. Uh, 2,000 years ago, or 500 years or so after Gautama, uh, <clears throat> the schisms in the Buddhist Sangha in India led to the development of groups that were later called Mahayana. Uh, 500 years after that, they still existed, or 1,000 years after Gautama, uh, they, uh, they were still schismatic. <laughs> there were these different sects in northern India, and mainly northern India, as far as I can tell that would later become the basis of Mahayana Buddhism in China, Tibet, Japan, Korea. And then <clears throat> you have the development of Advaita Vedanta, which um, is pretty much uh, based in Gaudapada and Adi Shankar uh, about 1,500 years ago, 1,400, 1,500, and so on. And so, <clears throat> meanwhile, uh, Adi Shankara, who took Gaudapada as his great gu grand guru, meaning not his guru, but the one before his guru, Adi Shankara, they have certain differences of opinion. Are they essential? Um, some people would think so, some people not. Uh, likewise, <laughs> that's just uh, the lineage, the original basis of the lineage um, of Advaita Vedanta. Nityananda himself is not of that lineage. He didn't have a guru in the tradition. Uh, he sort of achieved whatever awakening he had, or a final awakening, and spoke from that. And so we've got lots of terms, and lots of interpretations, and lots of people who uh, will say, my interpretation is true. Well, they all believe it. So do I. And everybody's got to figure it out for themselves. Uh, it's very helpful <laughs> to get uh, some kind of cosmology in mind. And the cosmology of uh, what we could call multidimensionality, where Buddhism is 31 planes and the raw material seven dimensions, which are uh, uh, of an octave of seven dimensions leading to next octave uh, with seven dimensions or seven realms. <clears throat> those, those, uh, that, that multidimensional structure or um, multi-layered uh, cosmos uh, is exactly correlate to levels of successive expansions of consciousness. Exactly. And so first density is first density consciousness. Sixth, seventh density is sixth, seventh density consciousness. Uh, Triloka, where you have Kamaloka, Rupaloka, Arupaloka, Buddhism, three realms or loka worlds, not different than or the uh, distillation of the 31 planes, <clears throat> are, uh, is a cosmo cosmology of consciousness, of successive expansions and uh, uh, expansions of awareness. So the spiritual path <clears throat> is a uh, progression through higher, finer dimensions with 
corresponding expansions of awareness, which equals increasingly non-dual consciousness, Advaita, and yet um, the non-dual consciousness or awareness, you see, I mean, we can, again, I would use the word consciousness. The consciousness can be used, (laughs) as we saw, in a dualistic and a non-dualistic way. So there's consciousness as the fifth skanda, born of ignorance, said Gautama, one of the five skandhas or heaps, which are constituents of the delusive, ignorance-based sense of self, the conceptualized fashion sense of self, false identity, uh, illusory or mentally conceived identity, which is false, which is dropped after one leaves sixth density. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, there's life beyond consciousness or consciousness is um, also dropped along the path at the higher levels from 6th to 7th density Ra said we no longer experience memory and identity likewise Gautama used the term or someone used the term in the Pali Canon Vijnana Manidasanam meaning consciousness without surface when Gautama talks about um, the Tathagata uh, a being of such as we just saw yesterday in the Sabya Sutta such is a word to describe awareness beyond um, false identity or subjectivity or subjectivism or duality and yet non-dual is beyond what we call unity or the law of one so Ra is at the law of one <clears throat> uh, we no longer seek light, we become light, said they. Uh, yeah, but when they um, realize the um, limitations of their current perception and experience of having become light, that that experience is itself uh, of the three marks, Anicca, the experience we become light in late sixth density of the law of one, being itself mentally fashioned, because it's based in perception, conception, it's samskara, right? There's still samskaric activity, it's still a fashioning in mind, therefore it's dualistic. The experience of becoming light or unity is intrinsically dualistic as well. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, the uh, limitation or the very, very subtle level of or degree of avidya in the experience of unity is that there is perception, conception, samskaric activity, namarupa, uh, there is um, still a conceit, tanamana, or eighth fetter, and a restlessness, uh, ninth fetter, uh, associated with that experience of having become light and um, I knowing uh, I is one. That's why they drop it when they go to seventh density. And so there's something beyond this octave, yes. And that's where we talk about beyond the all. The all being the world, not this world, the seven-dimensional world, then what lies beyond that, or <clears throat> the reality that Gautama is not extinguished. <laughs> there's no annihilation. He's not annihilated free of this all. And so some people can't handle that or they don't even know what we're talking about. Uh, 
but Buddhism is not nihilistic. <laughs> he directly said, I'm not a nihilist. And likewise, Nityananda, using terminology from the Upanishads, from <clears throat> um, what, you know, I mean, he, he's familiar with the teachings of uh, Gotapada and Adi Shankara to some degree, and uh, yoga, you know, Patanjali's yoga sutras, and the yoga system of chakras and nadis and <clears throat> kundalini and, and uh, pranayama practice. Uh, using all that in his own way. <laughs> and everybody's got to figure out, all right, what are we talking about here? Uh, because everybody has a different take on it. So, anyway, and, and um, people should study deeply, but hold concepts lightly. Um, and yet acknowledge there is an objective reality that the concepts point to. And the concepts of each teacher are different, meaning their interpretation of any one word is different from everyone else. Their emphasis is different uh, because their path was different, because they're different, because each is unique. So you're unique, I'm unique. We are all, you know, <laughs> uh, individual um, manifestations, sparks of light. <clears throat> each spark of light is a unique, has unique form or formation. Yet the nature of that light is one, meaning it's the same light. And so one should be, um, I think, diligent, but not rigid. <laughs> anyway, last time we ended in the middle of uh, Voice of the Self, Impi Pandit's translation of Chittakash Gita, page 10. Uh, I will start the new material and we'll move along. And again, I'm going to primarily depend on this translation uh, of Chashkita, while the other two that I've used from uh, Captain Hatengi on nichinandatradition.org and um, perhaps Randall Fonts or somebody, I don't know who did this site, frankly, it's not very clear. They claim it to be a translation, the, the translation, Voice of the Self from MP Pandit, but it's not. And so somebody modified it, which is cute. So meanwhile, there are some, there is some further explanation from this ebdeer.net translation of Chittagash Gita claiming to be Voice of the Self. There is, there, there are many points where it's useful to look in, where um, he included the Sanskrit, where um, MP Pandit the. PDF version of Voice of the Self does not. Sometimes that's useful, and in other cases, that there's elaboration that's not needed. It seems to me. <clears throat> and so we'll just. Mm, it's a busy time around here. Some change in the neighborhood because it's getting close to the end of summer. Different birds. Hey. Uh. Okay, so <laughs> let's go with uh, page 10, mid-page, Voice of the Self, PDF, MP Pandit, uh, Chirkash Gita. Uh, he who gives up enjoyments and attains yoga knowledge, which could be yoga, yana, is the true yanin, meaning the, the one who has realized yana. 
Ananda, or bliss, is not heard, it is attained. He who attains it is a Mahatma. <clears throat> Just a moment. Sometimes these guys are raucous. All right, let's see about that. Yoga knowledge, or he who gives up enjoyments and attains yoga knowledge, yoga yana, is the true yanin. Ananda, or bliss, is not heard, it is attained. He who attains it is a mahatma, great soul, or great atman. One who sees only the stone and the earth does not become a mahatma. He who perceives himself within himself is the real mahatma. <clears throat> this was addressed possibly to devotees who were attached to pilgrimage. And commonly, like attachment to rites and rituals, one of the first three fetters broken at Satipana, uh, have some sense that sanctity is attained by um, worship at sacred stones and uh, places. And while it can be helpful... Um, as he's saying, um, gnosis or yana is not attained through the senses. Likewise, uh, bliss and meditation is not enlightenment. It may be associated with awakening or not. <clears throat> uh, people have um, high jhanic states now and then, some can, where there's bliss or joy or an experience of boundlessness. That actually is a mind-body-sensory experience, to some degree. Meanwhile, bliss or ananda, and likewise yana, is not heard or seen. If you see the stone and the earth, or you hear something, that itself is not attainment of yana or gnosis or realization. And that's an important point. Jhanas are not um, uh, moksha. Uh, bliss uh, is not a realization. <clears throat> and uh, Hatengi's translation, you can just see, uh, just as a little side note, on it's, it's basically uh, verse 54 in the numbered versions, numbered verses from Hatengi, Captain Hatengi as well as ebdirnot.net. Uh, <clears throat> uh, the final line of, of verse 54, according to Hatengi, was, he is a Mahatma who knows himself. Well, that's not quite the same as he who perceives himself within himself is the real Mahatma. Uh, there is a self within the sense of self. But that self is not subject is, is not a subjectivity, or a dualistic, substantive uh, agent. It's more akin to a presence, or um, an unbound being, and that's where we get the difference between the words awareness and consciousness, or consciousness without surface, like Otama said, or such, uh, awareness of such, ta ta ta. Uh, in Buddhism, is akin to unbound awareness, 
which is akin to Vijnana Manidasanam, which has its own bliss, but it's not sensory, it's not subjective, but they may use the words infinite consciousness. While Gautama says consciousness is born of ignorance. Well, fifth skanda consciousness, which is subjectivist, eighth fetter, restlessness-based, subjective-based consciousness, dualistic awareness, or awareness, consciousness, associated with a center point of, of, of agency or subjectivity. Uh, that's finished <laughs> when one leaves sixth density. And where, you know, just, just as a little note, where Hatangi, Hatangi says he's a Mahatma who knows himself, that's not enough <laughs> to me. And that's where um, a little point shows something bigger to me. Not only the content, but also uh, the meta uh, significance. The content is, uh, it's, not, it's not quite, you know, yana or moksha or liberation, realization, is not the same as just knowing yourself. <laughs> it's, it's knowing true nature. And that's not quite um, a personal matter. It's uh, the boundless the boundlessness of true nature. And that's uh, properly very transpersonal. And to simply say, he's a Mahatma who knows himself, well, I mean, there are a lot of people walking around who know themselves somewhat, we know ourselves somewhat, but that doesn't mean um, we've contacted or live in boundless awareness, of course. And so... uh, the voice of self translation or MP Pandit's translation, he who perceives himself within himself, and the first himself is a capital H, uh, like self as a capital S, who perceives the self within the self or the universal self uh, presence, uh, boundless awareness, nature, nature within the sense of self, within mind-body-spirit, within the seven-dimensional self, which is perceiving Paramatman within Jivatman, or the Logos in the, the seven-dimensional apparent self. Because you see, the seven-dimensional self, right, mind-body-spirit complex, and higher self, late sixth density Atman, or Jivatman, and the seventh density totality complex, Ra's depiction of the oct- threefold octavic self, there's a being, there is, there is a distinction between the, that which is of light and that which experiences light. That which is of light are the seven-dimensional energy fields, seven rays being the seven dimensions, um, by which, within which, or apparently within which, or apparently within relation to which, we have a seven-fold, seven-ray, seven-chakra energy fields that can be divided into the three of an evolving mind-body-spirit complex and then beingness complex and totality complex, six and seven. That three-fold octavic self is um, a beingness or a one experiencing the octave multidimensionally through seven-dimensional energy fields of light. Yet, light is a concept. Light is um, a a <clears throat> product of a source. 
it is a derive it is derived from a source. The source is the logos, right? Let there be light. The action of free will upon love is the origin of light. So, infinite free will acting upon infinite love of the logos or of the one that created light creates light. The seven-dimensional experience is that one in sevenfold sheaths of light. That one in sevenfold sheaths of light is not the sevenfold sheaths of light. <laughs> that one is Paramatman. And so uh, that is much, uh, that knowing all that, the Paramatman in the Jivatman or the Logos in the sevenfold octavic self, that I mis- mistakenly identifies with the sevenfold sheaths of light, intelligent energy, light in its sevenfold display of seven rays, seven-dimensional energy fields, the one that experiences that light is not that one, is not the light. <laughs> it's the one that's experiencing the light. The one that created the light is the one that experiences the light, intelligent energy, sevenfold rays, seven rays, as octavic experience. The one that, that has that experience is of the one that created the light. And that is big deal, <laughs> big deal to return there. It's a big deal. And a lot of, a lot of uh, humans, Western students in Eastern, <clears throat> uh, minimize that magnum opus and therefore get away with such a translation of he's a Mahatma who knows himself. Well, it's a hell of a lot more than just knowing yourself. It's actually uh, becoming one with the true nature of the sevenfold light display of the vehicles of the one that created light. <laughs> Returning to the one that created light. Returning the, to the source of light. That's close. <laughs> that, that magnum opus, um, great work, is a little bit more clearly uh, uh, presented or, or suggested by the, the translation he who perceives himself within himself is the real Mahatma. And I used to very commonly have the experience of meditation of a kind of emergence, like uh, I was coming out of the fog. And that is perhaps, you know, could be just clearing of the mind. But it is a little bit more of um, finding oneself within oneself, the true nature self within the uh, apparent, uh, within, within the conscious mind, you know finding uh, the source, one's true nature presence um, to emerge out of the, the mists <laughs> and the clouds and the fog of the conscious mind with its 3D identified experience. Going on, the Avaduta has death at his command. Again, I'm reading from the Voice of the Self translation on the PDF which is on the text from archive.org also. The Avaduta has death at his command. He has no sense of the body. He's beyond the fourth state, Turiya. He is conscient or cognizant or aware in the illumination of the fourth state. He's not thought aware. He's a Raja Yogi, not a Hatha Yogi. Living in the country, he delights in all. There is no separate awareness. He moves about. He has no hunger. 
He eats plenty of what he gets, but does not ask for more if he has none. To him are same, he who gives poison and he who gives milk, he who slaps and he who loves him. To the Abadutta, Abadut, the universe is the father, universe is the mother, the world the relation. The universe becomes himself, and himself the universe, and the all is in himself. Right? So, the Logos in the apparent dualistic self. Uh, again, I think this translation is really superior um, because he's not trying to... He really just wanted to translate directly what Nityananda said, even though um, lots of people won't understand. That's fine. <laughs> that's, that's valuable. <laughs> Were there no potentials for misunderstanding, there would be no potentials for understanding, said Ra. And so it's not intending to be obscure, it's intending to be accurate to what the teacher said. So, Avaduta, now I'm not an Avaduta, obviously, so I can't say what that one is. Uh, death at his command, Nichinanda left his body freely, regularly and uh, called out his time of final departure from the body as well, and sat, took some breaths, and off he went, and that was it. So that's the way the great ones leave. They basically announce it to the community beforehand, get their affairs in order, uh, have their closest disciples, if need be, sitting around, take a few breaths, and that's it. And they're gone. And it's gone, like that. Uh, no sense of the body um, certainly is no um, not 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 being uh, pushed and pulled by bodily process or bodily desires. Um, this term turiya fourth state is actually interesting. Uh, this is a term that's used um, in uh, it's a traditional term actually. For starts with the Upanishads and then was used um, by Gaudapada and uh, Shankara. Uh, there's a link, Wikipedia. Uh, it's basically the fourth state, where the three common states of consciousness from uh, Upanishadic basis are waking state, dreaming state, dreamless deep sleep. This fourth state, beyond deep sleep, is commonly called the goal, or in the Upanishads, in Chandogya Upanishad, discussing the four states as awake, dream-filled sleep, deep sleep, meaning no dream sleep, and then beyond deep sleep. Uh, in the Upanishads, you can see, again, everybody's... <laughs> people are real loose. And so, Mandukya Upanishad said, not inwardly cognitive not outwardly cognitive, not both-wise cognitive, meaning in and out, not a cognition mass, not cognitive, not non-cognitive, unseen, with which there can be no dealing, ungraspable, having no distinctive mark, non-thinkable, that cannot be designated, the essence of assurance, meaning a certainty, of which is the state of being one with the self. Okay, so that's what? Conscious mind in Jivatman. The cessation of development, 
tranquil, benign, without a second, such they think is the fourth. He is the self, Atman. He should be discerned. So Atman is the fourth. So they say. And that's akin to Turiya. Uh, meanwhile, <laughs> there's this point here brought in by uh, Ellen Goldberg, who maybe knows something. The insight during meditation of Turiya known as Amatra, the immeasurable, measureless, in Mantukya Upanishad being synonymous to Samadhi in yoga terminology. Well, you can just see how things get really complicated, and they were already before Gautama got on the scene. Uh, here, the fourth state from Mandukya Upanishad before Gautama is equated with um, union with Atman, right? The conscious mind and Jivatman, or Jiva and Atman at one. What is that? Sixth density? Well, some will call that uh, full enlightenment. And um, that may be why Nichinanda said beyond the fourth state. Ah. And so you will have some. <laughs> Some Vedantists who will say Turiya is is complete moksha, and Nichinanda saying uh, the Abhidut is beyond the fourth state. If the fourth state is with Atman, um, that's not the final goal anyway. So therefore, Nichinanda says beyond the fourth state. Mm. So, meanwhile, the Advaita Vedanta has its own take on the four states. Godapada had something to say about it. Adi Shankara had something to say about it. Kashmiri Shaivism has something to say about it. And uh, commonly, they would identify the fourth state as the end. Um, meanwhile, um, Atman, or late sixth density, is not the end. And so, there was some discussion. <laughs> uh, so, while... This notion of Turiya is pre-Buddhist. It was taken up by Gaudapada and Adi Shankara uh, 1,500 years ago in what became Advaita Vedanta and Kashmiri Shaivism. And they uh, were influenced, at least initially, with Mahayana Buddhism, which was circa you know, <laughs> 400 uh, AD or CE or 1,500 years ago. And so some people actually... One Japanese scholar said that the the fourth realm was influenced by sunyata of Mahayana Buddhism. <laughs> so you see, everybody's got some kind of uh, everybody's got an opinion here, and so other people say no. Uh, just because it's pre-Buddhist term doesn't mean that it's um, not further influenced by Buddhism down the line, and it just goes on and on. The the the, the dance never stops. Meanwhile, it is interesting that Nichina said beyond the fourth state. And that's the point, is that uh, union with higher self or um, jiva and atman uh, is not the end. Likewise, the jhanas of, uh, formless jhanas, um, perception of or experience of infinity of space, infinity of consciousness, and then nothingness, and neither perception or non-perception. Those jhanas are not the end either, but they'd be easily taken for the end um, unless one has a teacher who's finished out of the octave. So Nichinanda seems to be quite clear that uh, you can talk about fourth state and Atman, but
but actually the real one who's uh, free is beyond that too. Uh, not a Hatha Yogi, a Raja Yogi, Raja King, uh, Raja Yoga being uh, the kingly yoga. It's transformation of awareness or seven ray perfection leading to transformation awareness. Whether or not you can do stretches, whether or not your body is healthy, doesn't matter. You know, <laughs> it just doesn't matter. I mean, it's painful if your body's not healthy, indeed. But it doesn't really matter because this body will be dropped. And that's why Nityananda, one of the reasons I'm sure he, he left at 65 rather than 95, because it's tiresome to have a human body. And um, uh, with this notion that, that uh, Ananda is not seen or heard, bliss, realization is not of the senses. Higher jhanas is of the higher senses. That's the point. The, the higher states in meditation, the jhanas, formless, arupa jhana, five, six, seven, eight, are, are of the higher senses. Um, but moksha, liberation, and nirvana, or um, awareness, consciousness without trace, uh, suchness, or <clears throat> extinguishing um, craving, clinging, and ignorance, and the end of birth and death, is not of the body. It's not of the senses. One can have that achievement and have a sickly body and die at 40 or 50 or 60 or whatever. That's The Hatha Yogi uh, commonly gets attached to uh, bodily perfection. That's why Nityananda said, not a Hatha Yogi. Certainly there are Hatha Yogis who, are, who can achieve moksha, for sure. <coughs> But more commonly they are attached to bodily perfection. And they have great bodies. They do a great job with their body, yeah. But that's not moksha. That's why Nityananda goes to Raja Yogi. So he says Raja Yogi over Hatha and beyond Turiya. So he's got his own view here that's beyond some tenets of Advaita Vedanta. He eats plenty of what he gets, but he doesn't ask for more if he has none. To him are the same... Now, Nityananda didn't treat everybody the same. In some ways he did, in some ways he didn't. There were some that he wouldn't allow in. So, again, one should be careful uh, always with interpretation. Uh, there is a sameness, um, one taste, achieved, you know, with greater expansions of consciousness, and that's, you know, recognition, a greater appreciation of unity, Um, as the nature of diversity or differentiation. And that is where, mm, akin to not being swayed by the world of winds, right? If somebody says, I love you, and somebody says, I hate you, uh, one can get to a, a point of um, greater freedom. <laughs> It doesn't have to be rigid holding on to anything. Greater freedom and well-being so that one's not swayed. Naturally, there's no triggering when we hear, I love you, or I hate you. It's nice to be loved, and it's a little bit bitter to be hated, but ultimately it's not a big deal what other people say, <laughs> unless you feel it is. Then it is for you, but it doesn't have to be. So he who slaps and he who loves him <laughs> are the same to him. And again, this is beyond the, any kind of uh, triggering, beyond attachment to praise and blame, beyond uh, grasping and aversion, 
beyond the three marks, ultimately. The universe becomes himself, itself the universe, and all is in himself. This is the greater all <laughs> that Gautama didn't talk too much about. Next page, uh, moving into page 11 from the PDF. Rechaka is the breath drawn upward. Kumbhaka is the breath that is held. Puraka is the breath left deep within. This is all about pranayama. All the three breaths are internal regulations within the body, none from outside. Thus, while practicing pranayama, the vayu, or breath or air, the air really, moves in only one nadi, meaning channel, energy channel. Then there is joy within. What? Brahmananda, Brahma bliss. Then uh, there is then no thought of this world. There is only thought of the world beyond. Quote, this world refers to the individual jivatman. Quote, the world beyond refers to the union of jivatman and paramatman, the individual self and the supreme self, and that's beyond the world or the all and the octave and light, you say. That's the point. And that's, again, a very... Uh, Nityananda's presentation fits very nicely with the raw material, <clears throat> actually. And it has some... It, it fits with a refined view or some interpretations of Advaita Vedanta. Again, you know, Godapada's Advaita Vedanta and Ramana Maharshi's Advaita Vedanta and Shank Adi Shankara's Ramana, uh, their uh, Advaita Vedanta. So from each of those teachers, their presentations are a little bit different, actually. And... Um, um, while Nityananda's uh, teaching accords with much of it, of their presentations of Advaita Vedanta, um, it has a very nice correlate to the raw material as well, particularly Ra's cosmology helping um, articulate Nityananda's teachings on, um, on soteriological, ra, the raw material cosmology supporting an understanding of Nityananda's Soteriology. So, <laughs> cosmology from Ra, supporting an understanding of soteriology, meaning the, the doctrines of salvation, or philosophy of salvation and ultimate freedom and achievement from Nityananda. So, <clears throat> uh, this is a common understanding of um, a high level of pranayama practice and attainment. Um, the prana moving only in the sushumna or the central channel and then there's bliss and that central channel also um, is the movement from unit of diversity duality to unity diversity multiplicity differentiation duality me and you to all one <clears throat> and so going from uh, energy and that that's a very perfect correlate and it's literal not just symbolic it's literal that um, achievement of non-dual awareness, non-dual consciousness, or uh, trans-subjectivist, non-personal, non-dual awareness in mind or of mind is associated with <clears throat> uh, prana um, not um, being scattered between uh, Ida and Pingala but set, being centered in uh, Sushumna, the central channel, from root to crown. So dualism, 
dualism of pranic activity ending, giving rise to uh, unification of awareness or awareness that's non-dual itself. That then, likewise, um, is associated with no more thought of this world being the individual jivatman. This world is the world of light or the world of uh, subjectivity, uh, the personal. And you see, even the Atman is the personal, you see. That's the secret. Atman uh, of one is of one of this octave, which is ultimately um, S, uh, self with a lowercase s. So, Jivatman, or Atman, is of this world, this octave, and the goal is not of this octave, or is uh, attainment of realization and therefore freedom from reincarnation in this octave. Uh, a realization beyond the octave or the union of Jivatman and Paramatman. And, and that's no different than at the, the, uh, going into eighth density in the raw material. Very nicely put, actually. <clears throat> all right, 45 minutes. Bottom of page 11. As all the small rivers and rivulets flow into the sea, so should the attention point to the breath within. What is seen by the outer eye is false. That has an end. And I will explain that. That's a very important little point there. When the mind merges in the bindu and nada, it is the nirvikalpa samadhi. The attention then is confined to the ananda, or bliss. <coughs> <coughs> Concentration in the middle of the tip of the nose, direction into the Brahmarandra, revelation of the light of lights, capital L, light of L, small lights, and eternal liberation, moksha. This is the true station of the mind, of the immobility, of the beyond, of the here. So the, that's a very um, fine... <laughs> combination or, or collection of adjectives and definitions here. Uh, we're talking about <clears throat> the uh, movement from pranayama technique to uh, yana, realization, which is of moksha, or liberation. And of <clears throat> uh, the many becoming the one, and the one uh, returning to its source. And so, the source of the small rivers and rivulets being the sea, the source of uh, subjectivist consciousness being uh, e eternal or indivisible or infinite unbound awareness. Ba-boom. So, Paramatman as the source of Atman, the Logos as the source of the threefold octavic self, the sense of self in the octave. The sense of self in the octave is itself um, of its source. Its true nature is its source. That's the point. True nature or true identity beyond fashioned identity, such identity, the identity of such, ta -ta, that identity <clears throat> is its source. So the source of uh, the octave is the logos. The uh, what's called uh, paramatman 
is akin to the Logos as the source of Atman. The liberation, Moksha, is the return of the Atman, or the higher self, or us in the octave, what I is, <clears throat> uh, being free of identification with the sevenfold sheaths of light. Sevenfold sheaths of light is the sevenfold uh, or threefold octavic self, mind-body-spirit complex, higher self, being this complex, and totality complex. Fine. Um, <clears throat> that returning of identification with the sheaths uh, from the personal to the transpersonal or out of the personal, akin to <clears throat> rivers and rivulets returning to their source, is um, mirrored by practice, practice, pranayama practice, even anapanasati practice, yeah, mindfulness practice in Buddhism, where uh, concentration of attention is step number one. Development of concentration. Depend your, direct your attention to the nose tip or the breath sensation coming in and out. <clears throat> and um, the breath within, uh, in terms of technique, by the way, it's not a good idea to try to follow the breath in and around the body. Some people have that as a main technique. I think it's too busy. But uh, busy needs to be... The purpose of busy technique or a complicated technique is because it's presumed to be helpful to an even more complicated mind. When the conscious mind is really overwrought, um, some kinds of uh, complicated techniques are useful, particularly like building sandcastles and dough. But when the mind is less busy, <clears throat> a very, very simple technique is just fine, like meditation on the word om, <laughs> actually. So... You can't, if, if when the mind is busy or one's in physical pain or one's life is a mess, one can't meditate with a very uh, subtle object of concentration like Om. But one may need a more coarse or gross or complex meditational object uh, like a mantra or prostrations or building dough castles or something like that. So you know, or dancing around. So, <clears throat> do what you like. Uh, but indeed, along the way, there is distillation, which ac appears as a movement out of dualism back to one, or simplicity, or peace. And so, mind merging in bindu. Bindu is um, sometimes like a drop, um, or the red dot women, Indian women, put on their forehead, a drop or spot. It's a, sort of the unified, uh, the, the spot of unified awareness in six chakra, I would say, related to that. Nada, I think, means nadis, <clears throat> or the central uh, point of six ray. Then we have nirvikalpa samadhi, and then attention goes to bliss, or one's in bliss. And... Uh, What's nice here is two things, little points that are not small. Uh, when, when what is seen by the outer eye is false, that has an end. When teachers say the physical is illusory, they're basing it on the fact that it's transient. What is impermanent has an end. It has a birth, what has an end. All that is born will die. All that dies, it was born. What has an end is called false by those who 
make such definitions. Uh, Buddhism doesn't really, the higher Buddhism, or early Buddhism, doesn't get into this true and false thing. That All that came with Mahayana. And so Mahayana is very influenced, absolutely, by uh, what, what, by what became uh, Advaita Vedanta. There was definitely cross-pollination between um, <clears throat> what between Buddhist Mahayana, Buddhist Indian, Indian Buddhist Mahayana, and the precursors of uh, Advaita Vedanta, and then later Advaita Vedanta. So uh, that's where you get this whole teaching of where words are called true and false or illusory. Gautama really didn't get into that. He just said Nichanata Dukkha, the three marks or characteristics of existence or unenlightened mind's experience. Right. Unenlightened mind's experience experiences um, all th- uh, in accord with those three characteristics, impermanence, insubstantiality, and stress. That was then later called false, or the Upanishads would call it false, because it has an end, meaning impermanent and insubstantial. So that's anywhere where people are coming from who use those terms. And so Buddhists who use <coughs> uh, strongly... Uh, affirmatory or negatory, negatory terms like true and false and real and unreal and the eternal and the dot dot dot. Um, all of that's coming out of the Upanishads and that's, Gautama tried to get out of that and he did but <laughs> they pulled it back in later as the sects developed with influence from late Upanishadic or Upanishadic Vedanta and that became Avaita Vedanta. Uh, dualistic language crept back into Buddhism <laughs> he he pulled out of the ocean of Vedanta for a moment, or Upanishadic tradition, Gautama, <clears throat> with a little different languaging, a little bit more precise, I think. Um, and then uh, it it uh, submerged back in a few hundred years after his death. So, uh, but the second point here I think that's useful is <clears throat> uh, eternal liberation moksha it's eternal because it's death it's because it's without death or birth it's without it's the deathless because it's the birthless it's deathless because there's no birth because it's prior to light we're talking about reality prior to light light is vibratory it has uh, temporality but <clears throat> that moksha uh, true station of the mind meaning where there's real truth also called tat or sat um of immobility, of the beyond, of the here. The beyond is the here. That's the point. Uh, it's not up there, out there. What's in front of us actually is a screen. Uh, the, the display of seven-dimensional light, or d- display, in this case, of third-dimensional, r- third-ray light uh, hides its true nature as seven-dimensional light which hides its source or is a screen of its source of logoic infinitude. So here he goes on, page 12, <clears throat> here, which, we, which he just equated with the beyond. <laughs> the beyond is here. Here is the abode of the jiva, formless and partless. Beyond, it's great that he did this actually because he could tell I mean, he's not talking to anybody. He's just talking at them. 
he knew that there uh, is this apparent linguistic contradiction between here and the beyond, where he equates here and the beyond. And he knew that that, well, that was worthy of uh, elaboration, without hearing anybody's question, probably. Here <clears throat> is the abode of the jiva, formless and partless. Beyond is seen the one and all, the immobile and the immobile. The immobile is the creator of the Vedas, hmm. knowledge of the empire, lord of liberation, lord of the empire. Status of mind is the mental man, Man is he who has mentation. That's a word that I like. I must have gotten it from him because I almost never see anybody using the word mentation. It's not meditation, it's mentation, meaning mental mentalism, mental activity, the way of uh, thinking. So <clears throat> here is the beyond, the differentiation of forms in parts and portions that we experience because we perceive it. We can perceive it, then conceive it, then experience it. Um, is uh, an illusory display or not seeing the whole of it. Things are not as they appear, nor are they otherwise. <clears throat> so appearance is a portion of, of total true nature. And that here means the beyond is here. Here is the beyond, because the beyond is here. The one and all, the immobile and the immobile, right? Before, the, outside the duality, or the, the prior to, a priori to, uh, the duality of motion stillness. Mobile, immobile, means motion stillness. <clears throat> or uh, activity uh, stillness. Uh, prior to vibration, right? Prior to vibration... There was no duality of motion stillness because uh, there was no um, apparent substance, meaning light. That's source. So immobile, uh, you know, you can say the creation, physical octavic creation is mobile, um, but uh, it itself rests, it itself um exists in a duality of uh, action, stillness, or, or resting and activity. Anyway, these are all these different terms he's using. Status of mind is the mental man. So the true uh, status of mind, or I think it was station of mind, um, is uh, <laughs> the source of, of the conscious mind. Going on, <clears throat> page 12, and um, we're going to end with a couple of these. He who deliberates upon the truth is a sannyasi, or yogi. Even if he is a cobbler, or pariah, he is so only in outer action. There is no distinction in the inner action. Pariahood is not after death. He who has pride and jealousy who debates and argues, who criticizes others, he is the pariah. To cobble does not mean to stitch cloth. It really means to stitch by placing chitta in the buddhi. Chitta in the buddhi. Chitta is um, the functions of the activity of mind associated with thought form, logic, analysis, sometimes called left brain, but it's much greater than the stupid reductive terminology of right brain, left brain, 
as explaining concrete thought versus intuition or um, expansive gnosis and, and knowing beyond logic or, or thought form. You know, be careful of stupid human leadership, human, stupid human scientists. Be careful. <laughs> There's a lot of Dumbos in this world. I mean, I like Dumbo, but unfortunately, they look like Dumbos to me. I mean, the Disney Dumbo is a nice guy, really quite a good guy, but maybe I should change my word <clears throat> out of respect for Dumbo. So there are a lot of human dummies. How about that? Scientific dummies and religious dummies and political dummies and academic dummies all over the place. This world is filled with those of small mind who believe they have great attainment. Meanwhile, the ones who really know, know how little they know. They know how all they know is nothing. <laughs> all I know, I think I know, or you think I know, I know is nothing. It's nothing. <laughs> I know that. Do you know that? So, the ones who think <laughs> they are experts, human expert, right? That oxymoron. Uh, one should be careful of. <laughs> and so, uh, he who debates and argues, who criticizes others, who, in, who, who gets sustenance by debating, arguing, and criticizing others. I mean, I could be called debating, uh, criticizing others, but that's a very small part of what I do. <laughs> I'm criticizing others for criticizing other, but I'm not making a big deal out of it because very soon I'll be out of it. And so there are those that professional debunkers, they're called. And um, be careful. Um, you know, somebody, I just read last night saying something, I don't know who said it, Whitney Webb or somebody. Uh, those, those who use um, language to determine truth shouldn't waste their time with those who use language to dominate and um, coerce and manipulate. Uh, or harm. And so, uh, one must be clear why one is in any one interaction or interplay, intercourse with someone. One must be clear. Why am I here? And if it's to convince you of something, one should be determined whether the other one, whether the other one really wants to learn or change their view. Um, I had a friend who <laughs> long ago went into the Mormons uh, so that he could teach them a thing or two. And uh, after a few months, my remembrance of his story is, after six months or so, he left and realized they didn't want to hear what I was saying. <laughs> of course they don't want to hear what you're saying. They're trying to mold you, not listen to you. So um, Nityananda is really saying um, a pariah is not a lower caste um, Hindu. A pariah is a person who actually is aggressive and dominating and harmful to others um, by mind and speech. And the real cobbling that is of value is um, putting the lower mind, the discriminative, the, the mind of um, duality into awareness um, of, of unity. To go beyond, to, to see uh, the one taste of all the differentiated, to see how the many is one, without neglecting the important aspects of the many and differentiation, without neglecting the relative, one can more and more live in the absolute.
and that is characterized by equanimity and uh, samatha, tranquility. And um, we learn that in meditation. And um, that's the greater work. And so the inner action is critical, um, not the outer social position, obviously. And so deliberates upon, deliberates upon truth being the sannyasi. Um, Hatengi put it as meditates on the reality. <laughs> I don't know if that's useful or not. 61. And Ebdir wrote, the one who reflects and inquires upon the tatwa is a sannyasi yogi, meaning a renunciate, one in union. Everybody does their own thing here. But uh, tatwa may well have been the original word for that the Nityananda spoke that here is translated as truth. The point is that truth with a capital T is uh, such. That's the point. It's the truth of um, the unity of the many and the illusory nature of that unity. <laughs> the illusory, the many being one and that one being of a source beyond one and many. Uh, that truth or such uh, or tatwa or sat, <clears throat> that's where you get truth equated to reality or reality beyond mental conceiving is truth. <laughs> the truth that, that the, the enlightened one knows. Finally, middle of page 12, the feminine, Nishanda said, in the feminine and the masculine. Subtle thought is the masculine. The gross is the feminine. Steadiness of buddhi leads to masculinity. The masculine becomes the feminine. The masculine and the feminine are distinctions in the outer conditions alone, in the inner subtle. If the intelligence and the knowledge are held to one locus, the feminine passes into the masculine. <clears throat> and so, um, we, we've got the difference between masculine and feminine, uh, which is really between uh, manas and buddhi. Uh, Nichinanda, this was actually all part of uh, verse 61 from Hatengi also. He said, this is not a bad translation, he wrote, Now the distinction of male and female, colon. A true female is one who is merged in the external. A true male is one who is merged in the internal. One whose buddhi is firm is male, one whose buddhi is fickle is a female. The distinction of male and female is external only, meaning that's not even important. Internally, such a distinction doesn't exist at all, meaning don't get stuck on male and female. When the manas and buddhi are merged in Atman, one who is physically a woman becomes spiritually a man. Now, lots of people will say, how misogynistic. But um, you can say anything if you want. But he's also saying distinction of male and female is external only, internally meaning of um, awareness or spirit. Uh, male and female or the genders are unimportant. It doesn't even exist. It's not important because it's non-existent. 
There is no male soul or female soul, or Atman is not male or female. There is, however, yes, um, a preponderance of love or wisdom or fourth ray, fifth ray, that was the predominant quality that led any soul up to sixth density. That's, I think, true. Meaning, there are groups in sixth density and souls in sixth density and Atman spheres, sphere, you know, Atmanic awareness in late sixth density that got there leading with love versus leading with wisdom. Those that led with wisdom could be called more male. Those that led with love could be called more female. But even that's kind of poor because <clears throat> a love is not um, exactly feminine and wisdom is not quite masculine. In Tibetan Buddhism, they mix them up too. It's not that simple. Uh, but there is manas and buddhi. There is the logical, analytical function of mind that goes to differentiation and duality in the many and the relative versus the receptive function of mind that sees um, gestalt or patterns or whole or um, um, can know without thinking or has awareness of fine distinction seeing the many as one or <clears throat> manas sees the many and may know it. Uh, buddhi sees the many and knows it as one and also has a finer level of discernment. <clears throat> and so uh, manas is much more active than buddhi. It's much more associated with time and space and change and birth and death. And uh, buddhi is very much, I think, it's hard to say exactly what they mean by it. It's discriminative awareness or discernment. It's certainly a fifth, sixth chakra blend, I'd say. It's a sort of uh, expansive stillness wisdom, not simply <clears throat> um, analysis and um, differentiated um, thought form. It's something a little bit more encompassing than, than that. So, anyway, uh, whether we say male or female doesn't quite matter, there are these two functions or qualities of uh, chit or mind. <clears throat> One that uh, is more associated with differentiation and form and change, and the other one more associated with the absolute of the many as one unity and um, awareness of, the, of the, the subtle in the gross, while manas is much more, is really focused on the gross or the physical or thought form, that outer versus the inner. And the inner includes the outer. So it's not the inner without the outer, it's the, inner, the outer inner or the inner outer. One, manas is much more focused on the outer. Um, buddhi is clearly focused on the inner and outer, or sees the outer as inner or the gross as subtle. Sees the subtle in the gross. <laughs> <clears throat> or can see the many and knows the many as one. Um, like that phrase, things are not as they appear, nor are they otherwise. That, that unification. And then... And this is probably um, where this, this was this notion in Buddhism somewhere that women had to become male, reborn as a male to become enlightened. That is not original to Gautama. 
there were many female arhats around Gautama. He didn't want to make an order of nuns for various reasons, but there were many female arhats, uh, a whole bunch of them. So uh, misogyny was not <laughs> not in the original teaching of Gautama. Uh, but the key really is um, knowing the two as two, knowing the distinctions of the two, and then being able to bring the awareness of many into an awareness of one. And so that's akin to uh, the feminine passing to the masculine. But it also is true, steadiness of buddhi leads to masculinity. There is a gravity of character, maturity, that comes um, from uh, the, the functions of, of analysis, thought form production, and proliferation, thinking and creating, to still that, <laughs> to be able to still the busy mind and rest in a quieter mind. Uh, samadhi. Uh, that's, there's a certain masculinity to that. At least there's a certain gravity. Whether it's masculine or not doesn't matter. But there's a certain gravity. There's a certain depth. There's a sort of moral backbone to it. Whether it's, it's just transgender. It's not of one gender or the other. Putting gender terms onto qualities of mind and path development is um, troublesome and makes a lot of problem. <clears throat> uh, but there is a certain depth of mind from a, a depth of character that comes from the ability to have a steady or quiet, solid mind. And so, all the the uh, adepts that I've seen <laughs> and the great masters that I've seen. Uh, they're very serious people. They're very solid. And uh, the males, physically, are very masculine. <laughs> that's it. And um, because they're very solid and steady. If that's called masculine, fine. But uh, it's certainly uh, beyond fickle. <laughs> we want to go beyond fickle and um, stabilize. So that'll be it for today. And... That's the end of page 12, and next time we go to page 13 on the PDF, and um, I hope it was helpful. Um, there's been a little pause in the uploads to the podcast, but I do recommend people look at the podcast page if ever I'm removed from YouTube for whatever reason. Um, then the podcasts will continue, but I strongly recommend... If you're listening, and if you like what you're hearing and you want more, uh, take a look at the podcast pages and make a bookmark or footnote or favorites because that'll remain after YouTube falls away. And not that I've had any trouble with YouTube, but uh, these days things are very unstable. So, uh, And Deagle.com <laughs> was down yesterday and came back up with a reformed... Um, design with much less information <laughs> on their 2025 forecast. No surprise. So things are changing, and yet um, there is that which does not change. So please take good care of yourselves, and see you next time, and good night. <laughs>